0: this is the on the banks podcast follow us on twitter at otb underscore sb nation now here's your host lance glenn hello everyone i am of course your host lance glenn and this is episode 31 of the on the banks podcast if you don't already you can follow me on twitter at lance underscore g11 and of course you can follow on the banks on twitter as well at otb underscore sb nation if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud, just search OTB underscore SB Nation, and of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. Crazy that winter sports are in the second half of their schedules, and spring sports such as baseball, softball, men's and women's lacrosse, and others are already underway. For all the coverage of every sport going on, as well as those in their offseason, make sure to go to onthebanks.com. I am very excited to be joined for episode 31 by the dean of the Rutgers Basketball Beat, one of the most, if not the most, knowledgeable men regarding New Jersey basketball. He writes for the Asbury Park Press, Jerry Carino. This is Jerry's second time on, but so much has happened for Rutgers basketball this year that we had to have him on again to break it all down. This season has been up and down. It's been tons of fun. Every game leaves us Rutgers fans on the edge of our seats. We have seen last-second shots go our way, and of course, we have seen last-second shots go against us. But this team has progressed wonderfully, and, and Rutgers basketball is certainly trending upwards. Six Big Ten wins, double their previous high of three. They have an opportunity to end the year 500 or better, and I'm sure we would all take that, and I'm sure our expectations going into this year were a lot lower than that. We have seen so much excitement already, and it's still not even March. We still have three games left and a whole Big Ten tournament to see what this team can do. The win against Minnesota a few days ago, 68-64 at Iraq, was as loud as I've ever seen the place. It was exciting. The players fed off the crowd, and the crowd fed off the players. And as we have seen this year, there are so many exciting days like that to come for Rutgers basketball in the very near future. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. He is one of, if not the most knowledgeable men regarding New Jersey and Rutgers basketball. He writes for the Asbury Park Press, and you can follow him on Twitter at NJ Hoops Haven. I am now pleased to be joined by Jerry Carino. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on during this off week for Rutgers. Thanks for giving me some of your time.
1: Of course, Lance. It's been a fun season. And, uh, one that I think has
0: surprised a lot of us, for sure. It, it, it certainly has surprised me. And let's talk about the most recent victory when we're talking about you know surprises, right? A 68-64 win against Minnesota. I thought really a well-rounded victory, one filled with ups and downs. I don't think Rutgers played their best, but they were still able to pull out a victory. What does that say about what Peichel and his staff have done that, you know, no longer does this team have to play A-plus ball in order to come out with a win? Well, they're.
1: I think they're better than Minnesota. <laughs> I don't I think that's why they won, because they're a better team. Minnesota has five very good players, and then nothing. And Rutgers is using 10 guys, and they used it expertly in wearing Minnesota down to rally from seven points behind at halftime. So I think what you're seeing is, uh, you know, Rutgers is from the middle of the Big Ten on down. Rutgers is as good as these teams. It does say a lot about the, uh, the team and the program, but I don't, They don't need to play an A-plus game to beat a lot of these teams anymore. That's just where the team is at.
0: The man leading the comeback win was Geo Baker. You know, down 59-58, he scored the Scarlet Knights' next eight points to give Rutgers a lead it didn't relinquish. A year where he became the top option offensively and really the quarterback of the team, how far has he progressed in your eyes this season?
1: Well, I I always thought Baker was terrific. Uh, You saw last season glimpses of how well he played alongside Corey Sanders. He was great in the Big Ten tournament. So this is kind of what I expected from Baker. The question is, how well would he handle having to run the point after you know, really being a true combo guard, playing off the ball last year? I think nobody really knew how he would deal with the transition. It's a big transition. And he did struggle at times this year. He seems to be really coming into his own now. So I'm not surprised at all. This is what I expected, what I thought he could do. If he settled into the spot, what the key will be. Now he has these point guard skills. How much of a better overall player would that make him next year when a true point guard comes in and he's able to play off the ball a lot? I think it's going to help him tremendously. So the kid's a rising star, and he's just the greatest kid. I mean, you could not ask for a better teammate. You couldn't ask for a better representative of Rutgers. He is exactly what you want in your program.
0: So this win, obviously, against Minnesota, it gave Rutgers six Big Ten wins on the season, two times more than the most they had in a season entering this year, which was obviously three of the last couple of years. Whatever your preseason expectations were, is it right to assume that they have either reached them now or at least even surpassed them at this point?
1: Well, yes, I can tell you for what mine were. So mine, I thought Rutgers would win 12 games and win five Big Ten games regular season. Now, so they surpassed that. Uh, now, that being said, I did say that they could have a worse record than last year and be a better team because their schedule was harder, uh, and they certainly are better, uh, and we'll see where the final record, they probably will have a comparable record, maybe slightly better, but the team's taken it's uh, been much better over the last, I would say, six weeks or so than I, than I thought they would be this year, I thought they would make this move next year, uh, so they're definitely ahead of schedule, there's no doubt.
0: Eugene in that game, you know, 14 points, nine boards. He's the emotional leader of the team, one of the captains, obviously. Pykel, each and every year, has said that he's the most improved player on the team. But to you, just how much better is he this year compared to how he performed the past two years? You know, he seems to have become really just such a great all around player that he necessarily wasn't last year and obviously his freshman season.
1: Well, first of all, you saw what they were without him when he was hurt and he missed that road trip and they got, you know, they got clobbered twice and then they lost at home to Northwestern. So, it's just not the same team without him. He's probably the most important player, him and Baker together. Because, but Eugene doesn't have, he doesn't have a whole lot of help. He's got to do a lot of the work by himself inside, a lot of defending the best player, a lot of the post work, you know, the rebounding. He's very tough. And he's definitely the leader of the team, no, no question. So, yes, he's gotten better each year. It's worth remembering that when he was recruited out of Canada late, you know, right before the start of, his freshman year nobody knew who the guy was so he's just a tremendous find and a great example of player development by the staff he's become a a upper level solid big 10 forward which you know we didn't know if that would happen but it certainly has happened so he's a rock that they're building around
0: and look we're obviously talking about eugene and kind of grouping him with all the other bigs obviously shaq dorson shaq carter miles johnson how have you seen the development go uh, of these big men throughout the, really the course of the year?
1: Well, very well. I thought it was a real weakness going into the season. Uh, it's still, the strength of this team is still its guards, but uh, <clears throat> the bigs have been solid. And uh, the big 10 is a good big man's league. The credit has to go to Jay Young, who I have said this a million times. The guy is a phenomenal assistant coach. He's not Peichel's right hand. He's Peichel's right arm. And, I think, I've said this before, he would make a fantastic uh, mid-major coach. The guy's totally ready to become a head coach. He develops these guys. So, And I do think Michael's philosophy plays into this, where he's going to play ten guys, he's going to play five guys, five bigs, and rotate them. And I think that helps all these guys. I mean, Eugene's going to be out there, but the other guys, you know, Shaq Dorsten, Miles uh, Johnson, Shaq Carter, they're, they're rotating, so they're able to play harder. Uh, for the stretches that they're in there and and not have as much wear down, which they need to have high motors, because maybe they're not as skilled or not as advanced as some of their counterparts. I think it's worked like a charm. You know, look what Rutgers did against Jordan Murphy Minnesota Sunday. This guy is arguably the best, well, I would say the second or third best big man in the Big Ten. Ethan Happ is the best. But he's one of the best big men in the league, and he's the best rebounder. He had nine and seven. They just totally wore the guy down with Shaq Dorson leading the way. So. So the, the philosophy they have works, that they can beat you with numbers, maybe not overwhelm you with the blinding talent or athleticism of other front courts, But they're beating teams with numbers and with well-coached, disciplined players, and it's a feather in the cap of the staff for sure.
0: You know, you bring up Jay Young, and I think one of the more underrated and important aspects of this rebuild has been the fact that Rutgers has been able to keep the entire staff together. It's the same as it was three years ago, which is look very rare in college sports today, in both basketball, football, and really any sport. How has that helped Rutgers achieve these kind of results? Maybe even sooner than obviously people originally expected them to.
1: We all kind of thought they had a ver- they put a very good staff together at the start. I don't think outsiders realized how good Jay was. People who followed Stony Brook knew how essential he was to their success. He coordinates their defense as well. Uh, yeah, that's of course continuity is important. I mean, a guy like Brandon Knight. You know, he's able to recruit Montez Mathis over a two year period and to get him. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's important. It's not going to happen forever. You know These guys are going to start getting picked off because people are noticing Rutgers getting better. But uh, it's helped for sure. I mean, there's these guys, there's good cohesion there. There's If you've watched a game or a practice, the assistants are very heavily involved. This doesn't always happen in other places. So, it's definitely a collaborative effort, and you'd rather keep the guys together than not. And so, but that's not going to happen forever. At some point, they're going to have to replace guys or promote guys because you know people are going to start looking at Rutgers staff and saying these guys are doing something right. Maybe they can help us. And someone's going to get a head coaching job at some point out of this group.
0: Let's look at the freshmen that came in this most recent class. You know, Montez Mathis, Ron Harper, Kayla McConnell. Beginning with uh, Montez Mathis and Ron Harper, both have really shown obviously talent. Um, offensively, but I think even more, both have shown a real talent on the defensive end. Just look back at Indiana; Ron was tasked guarding Romeo Langford, and yeah, Langford scored twenty points, but Ron held him to seven twenty shooting. Mathis obviously spent a lot of time with Amir Coffee against Minnesota and really hounded him and did a great job. What have you thought about those two and their development? You know, have they kind of surprised you with the impact that they've been able to make in their freshman year?
1: Mathis is the best defender on the entire team, uh, and you know what they say about freshmen is freshmen. Uh, don't defend well. That's the biggest weakness. They don't come in knowing how to defend on a collegiate level. That's generally true. Uh, Mathis is an exception to that. Now, it took him you know, a couple months to get up to speed, but once conference play hit, he just, he's just a lockdown perimeter defender. You watch him in games. He's erasing guys or making them work twice as hard for their points. So I've been surprised by how good of a defender he is this quickly. Uh, yes, the other guys, uh, they're... They're probably about where I thought they'd be. I mean, I know Harper came in and he did a lot of work defensively. He's become a solid, serviceable defender. Uh, and McConnell, you know, too. He's long. He's got good instincts, but yeah, they're they're ahead of the curve for most freshmen defensively. But that's something the staff emphasizes, and I don't, I don't think they would have recruited them if they didn't think they could tack it defensively. But Mathis is really, I mean, he. He has the, problem, the potential to be a special defensive player, and he's on his way there. And that, that definitely is the surprise at this early stage.
0: And, you know, looking at the third freshman, I think it took him a little while to get going, but I think Caleb McConnell over the last, you know, month has really been a huge plus for this team. You look back, obviously, at the Illinois game and what he did offensively there to, you know, help Rutgers you get it to overtime. He came in with people thinking that you know he'd mainly just kind of be used to spell Geo here and there, but he's developed I think into a you know a good defender, a serviceable defender, and a much better scorer than originally believed. He hit the two clinching free throws you know to bury Minnesota. How much has he impressed you this season with his development?
1: He's another great example of these uh, recruiting rankings. They are so misleading sometimes. I mean, he was way off the recruiting radar. Him, Geo, uh, Rui. I mean, he was Caleb O'Connell was a recruiting afterthought, and he's 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 a solid you know backup combo guard as a freshman in the Big Ten. So, yes, I'm of all the players on the team, he has surprised me the most. Uh, I didn't really have expectations for him at all. Didn't know what to expect. I kind of thought Miles Johnson would be pretty good because they've they've been touting him, but I don't think anyone knew what to expect from Caleb McConnell. It's a good example, okay, we said this already today, that the staff develops guys, and they do, but it's also a great example of like one of the most important parts of, of recruiting and building a program in a place like Rutgers, where they're not going to have a stream of five-star guys beating down the door, is to identify under-the-radar talent that can help you. And this staff, is, and Paykel was known for this at Stony Brook, and he even said it in his introductory press conference, this is this is the way he's going to approach recruiting. This staff is shown to be very good at that. So, I mean, they—I know this touches a raw nerve with some people when I say this, but look, they have—they've recruited okay if you're going by the, you know, the star rating and the BS stuff that these recruiting experts throw at you. And I emphasize the word BS a lot of times <laughs> because they're just looking at them and showcase. They're looking at them and showcase an AAU settings, and you know, not places where defense is emphasized, where tactics are emphasized, where team ball is emphasized, where there's high stakes for a team to win or lose, like a high school tournament or something. They don't look at players in those settings. So, Michael does, uh, his staff does, they have great instincts who can help them, and Caleb McConnell is Exhibit A for that philosophy. And, you know, it it can carry a program very far, very underrated part of coaching.
0: So look, you know, we kind of touched upon it earlier looking at next year and obviously there's still 3 games left and you know, obviously the Big 10 tournament. But just looking at next season what Rutgers has, you know, obviously everyone's coming back besides Shaq Dorson. As of right now, Jacob Young is going to be eligible, Paul Mulcahy is going to be eligible. What are or what should be the expectations for this team next year and how much better do you think Mulcahy and Young are going to make this Rutgers, you know, both um, this Rutgers team both offensively and defensively?
1: Okay, so we, we talked last time, I think you and I, before the season, I, and I've been telling everybody for over a year how good Paul Mulcahy he's going to be. Uh, he's a true point guard. I'll make everybody better. I think what people have to realize is this is going to be now a challenge for the staff, and it's a good problem to have. But you now have four guards who can play at a high level, like Geo Baker, Paul Mulcahy, Jacob Young, and Montez Mathis, you got to get them. You got to find time and roles for all these guys, and they have to accept those roles, um, and it all has to work. So, I mean, that's a challenge. Now, it's a great challenge to have. Who doesn't want too much talent? <laughs> but they do. They're not just going to roll four guards out there. I don't think. I don't know if that can work in the Big Ten. The league's so big. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to get these guys to work together. You're adding two new unique pieces, and so that's not an automatically seamless thing. But you have to you have to think it based on the success that Stanford's has had so far with getting buy-in and teamwork and fundamentals that they'll that they'll figure it out. But that's going to be a work in progress. Uh, they do the loss of Shaq Dorsen, while he doesn't produce a ton in terms of scoring and offense, he does do a lot of the dirty work and he takes a lot of the swings and arrows in the paint. Uh, so you, you they do need another they need a big guy who and preferably someone who can finish. So they need to add that piece in the spring, uh, recruiting-wise, Juco, grad transfer. I don't know what we'll see, but uh, if if they can add somebody, a big that can help replace Thorson, and if they can make those four guards work together, get them to work together, uh, this is a team that's going bri- to they're going to end the streak of 13 straight losing seasons. It's going to happen. They're going to make the postseason. And I'm not talking about some BS tournament like the CBI, which no high major you know, participates in any longer, hasn't for years. Uh, they're going to make a real postseason tournament. Uh, they're going to be good. And the, the NIT, to me, is a baseline expectation. Uh, I I will be shocked if they're not in the NIT next year. If fans want to dream about the NCAA tournament, certainly not. it's not unreasonable. But I would just caution fans to... Let's take the development one step at a time. It's taken three years to get to the point where they're competitive in the league. Let's take the next step and see this group move forward, post a winning season, get in the NIT, and then position themselves for what I think will be a big run in two years. But uh, so NIT would be the expectation, like in a winning season, a win total in the eighteen to twenty range. Uh, I haven't seen Rockers schedule. For next year, I haven't put it all together yet, so it's hard to gauge. You know how that factors in. It's very important the schedule and making the postseason, but that would be my. Fans are going to have great, wild expectations after this year. To me, that's a reasonable bar to set, and that's the where I'm going to put it. Uh, no, no coach or player or team is ever going to admit that their goal is to make the NIT, but that's that's the logical next step for this group, and it certainly seems like it's something that's going to happen.
0: Jerry, a couple more before I let you go. You know, this rebuild under Steve Peichel just seems different than the ones, you know, Mike Rice, Eddie Eddie Jordan, Fred Hill. Does it seem different to you, too? Does it feel that the way Steve Peichel is building this program, it, it just seems like it's it's more likely to finally happen? It's more likely for Rutgers to finally get back, you know, to towards or towards the top of college basketball?
1: Yes, it's definitely different. I'll give you the biggest reason why. What's plagued, what plagued those other guys was, uh, you know, attrition. They, Rutgers always recruited pretty well. It's a myth that, uh, except for uh, with the exception of Eddie Jordan, who didn't recruit well, obviously, you know, Rutgers recruited re- recruited well. Reich Rice recruited a blockbuster class. Freddie Hill recruited some tremendous players, a McDonald's All-American, some other two or three other big-time talents. But uh, players didn't stick around. You know, they were, Kevin Bannon. You know, guys packed up and left. So the the biggest thing with Michael, The reason to believe that he's building something long-term here is because the loyalty to him among his players is very high. If you look at Stony Brook, and we're talking in an era where low majors and mid-majors are getting picked clean with grad transfers and up transfers. If you look at Stony Brook, his his transfer rate was very low. His loyalty rate is very high. He still gets phone calls and texts from a lot of his ex-players. So he's developing a bond with these guys. And... Because he's a good coach who treats them well, and uh, I don't think you're going to have the exodus that haunted, you know, past regimes. Uh, so yeah, that, that's like that said, they seem to be on track. That's what seems to be different. Is this just feels like a longer term thing? And we'll see. Look, it's, you don't just snap your fingers and make the NCAA tournament. I mean, things have to things have to go in your favor. You need some breaks, but it does feel like this group is committed to. These guys are committed to sticking around and seeing this through. I will be very surprised. Very, su- listen, they're going to have some attrition in the off season. It's just, this is college basketball. They're going to have a couple guys who have eligibility left. They're not going to be back. I mean, that's just the way it is. But, but the core of this group, the, the key players, are they're all going to come back. And I will be shocked if one of them leaves, transfers out, you know, leaves early for whatever reason. Absolutely floored. This group is is here. The nucleus is here to do something special.
0: Jerry, last one. Look, they're sitting at 10th right now in the Big Ten. Three games left. They have a chance for a 500 record. Are those the goals fans should set for this team for the rest of the season? Finish, you know, possibly at 500 and, and try to maintain uh, at best they can that first round bye?
1: Yeah, the bye, they seem to be in decent shape for the bye. Uh, with three games left, there's a very good chance they'll go 2-1. and It's going to be tough to win in Iowa. But expect to beat Penn State at home, even though Penn State is playing better. And then who knows? Indiana is just—I mean—they're just staggering to the finish line. That's a disaster out there. Really, borderline disgrace, considering that program's pedigree. So they're going to—who knows what kind of environment? They they might be an alumni hall. They might be booing their team when Rutgers gets out there. So two and one certainly realistic, Uh, and that gets you to uh, to fifteen and fifteen. Um, going into the Big Ten tournament, which means you go one and one there, and you've broken the streak of 13 straight losing seasons. Uh, so yes, that's very realistic. I think it will happen, and uh, that you know no one's going to bang their chest about not having a losing season. And but it's it's a huge step forward in the in, uh, perception, and uh, it would be a very big deal and a job well done. I think that's the reasonable goal. To get a, if they do that, if they go two and one, they will get a bye. and then, you know, you have a an eight nine type of game, or a seven ten type of game, which Rutgers could win on a neutral court, and then you get one crack at a heavyweight, and it's fun. But either way, you, this could, people are going to look back on this season as a, as a transition point and inflection point, uh, a benchmark in the turn of Rutgers basketball, and that's been fun to watch.
0: You can follow him on Twitter at NJHoopsHaven. Jerry, thanks so much for joining me and giving me some time to talk Rutgers basketball.
1: Of course, Lance. Let's talk again in the offseason.
0: I want to thank Jerry for coming on episode 31 of the podcast to talk Rutgers basketball. This season has been such a whirlwind. It was labeled a year for the team to continue progressing, and they have certainly done a lot of that and more. And the good news is, everyone besides Shaq Dorsen is coming back. Everyone's involved this year. Led by Gio and Eugene, we've seen progress from Mr. Dorson, the freshman, the bench. It's been a year trending in the right direction. But fortunately for us fans, it's not over. Rutgers has already woken up the Big Ten with their play and has an opportunity with Iowa, Penn State, and Indiana to really wreak some havoc. But regardless of what happens, we Rutgers fans all can agree. Great success is going to be here soon for the men's basketball program here